This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Dan Wiederer. I mean, the dude is a tone setter, and that's undeniable. And I don't even think Ryan Poles and anyone in that front office would deny that. On-air contributor for 670 to score. I'm really excited to be part of the family. I can't wait to do it all year. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer. Flat-footed is what happens here at Hell's Hall way too often. Co-host of the Take the North podcast. We're going to take the North and never give it back. With our own David Hall. David, that's a, a lengthy description on the high-powered microscope that Matt Eberflus uses to judge his football team on a daily basis. And I think this is more than just a bunch of letters. Dan Wiederer with Mullane Hall on 670 The School. Bear down. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. Always a joy to talk to Dan Weederer. He joins us now on the Signature Bank score hotline. Signature Bank making commercial banking personal. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm loving the December bye week. Like Jalen Johnson, I'm going to go 1-0 this week and, uh, and not lose during the bye week. Well, I, I said the way things are going, I think the Bears are going to continue to lose on the bye. I don't know how, but it seems like they're stuck in a lose. I'm not sure they're winning again. They're underdogs. Even in the bye week. They're not yeah, favored. Yeah, no. Um, and, and yeah. Dan, you know, that's just a sad reality, I think. And, and I, you know, I, I, you, you look at the schedule remaining, and they've got a lot of tough games. I mean, these are teams. Maybe, maybe the Vikings aren't pay, playing for anything at the end of the year. We know. Uh, the Eagles are still trying to be the number one seed in the, in the NFC. We yeah. know that the Bills are trying to remain in contention in the uh, in the AFC, and and uh, you know it's very these are important games for these teams. Um, Detroit has been playing better, so I don't know that there's a game on this schedule that you look at and you say all they need is to organize a few things during the the bye week, like they did on the mini bye, and then everything's going to come to fruition here down the stretch. No, definitely. But I, I love this next stretch of games because it's really going to test uh, a lot of things about this team. You, you, you take two of the best teams in the league uh, that are contending for Super Bowl and you bring them to Soldier Field over a seven-day span and you test your guys to, to see who's up for that challenge, right? Like I mentioned Jalen Johnson a, a minute ago. He's going to have to take some tests, right, against A.J. Brown, against Stephon Diggs, against the other receivers that those offenses bring to the table. The Bears are going to have to figure out a way – to keep up with Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen. And that's going to be a challenge to Luke Getze and Justin Fields. And so even at 3-10, and 10, there's some, there's some in-the-game challenges that you can take that, that hopefully teach you a little bit about who your football team is, how far it has to go, and what you need to do to get better. And so I think it's, it should be something that Matt Eberflus and his staff are really uh, eager to get going on because it's going to be a, a, a challenge that I think has some significance. So, Dan, yesterday CBS tweeted out a graphic that showed the Bears have the toughest remaining schedule. And three of the final four opponents are teams that you can conceivably see as somebody's Super Bowl pick with the Eagles, the Bills, and the Vikings. The Lions, by the way, playing pretty well. So what would 3-14 and do to this idea that Matt Eberflus came in and Ryan Poles came in and established a winning culture? Well, yeah, it would it would keep 
question marks all over what they've actually accomplished in 2022. And I think that uh, if you're willing to look at a bigger picture, if you're willing to look at a picture that just isn't entirely fueled by, by hope and fields fever, you're, you're kind of left a little bit anxious about just how steep this climb truly is. That's why I think the, these next two games are, are cool for us because it's going to be uh, a measuring stick to show you just how far away they are, how much competitive fight do they really have, how are they able to keep themselves in games against top-tier opponents, and you just can't just make excuses every single week, every time you lose. At some point, you have to start identifying other players besides Justin Fields that are going to be difference makers for you in your long-term future because it takes more than just a quarterback to become a team that is, is regularly in the playoff hunt, that's regularly pursuing championships. And so 3-14 and 14 is just, I mean, it's, it's ugly, right? And, and a lot of people in this city are going to forgive it. But this league is unforgiving, and the rest of the league is not going to forgive it. And I understand that, that people are really excited to see, you know, 35 new faces on the roster by the time they get to OTAs. But, the, man, you've got a lot of holes to fill, and you better be able to identify at least a handful of guys on your current roster that you think are ascending and can play bigger roles than they've played for you this year. And I think, Dan, it's a great point because one of the more disappointing elements of what we've seen thus far from the Bears is that – and it can be summed up in two words, Jack Sanborn. He stepped up. Yeah. He got an opportunity. He did something about it. And and now you you think about him and moving forward, you think of him differently. Why hasn't that happened on the defensive line? And and who would that be? I mean, I, I was just jotting down names of guys. You know, Taco Charlton got more playing time. Uh, Andrew Brown <laughs> was brought in. I, and we're laughing about it, but they're churning through practice squads for tryout defensive linemen. They they are churning, trying to find guys. You know, how about in the secondary? What do you think of a uh, Josh uh, Blackwell or Elijah Hicks or? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like we we're seeing bodies and people, but we got to see more than that. We got to see somebody that wants to be here long term. And I told David, I'd have no problem with the coaches letting everyone know, hey, you guys are on the edge of the – you're on the edge here. You're basically hanging on in the NFL, and we're about to lose all these games. It's up to you now whether you got a future here. Molly, I'm with you on all of that, and, and like particularly with guys you drafted. Elijah Hicks now is getting a, an increased opportunity on defense, and he's got to show growth. He's got to show improvement. He's got to show that he's more than just a – you know, a day three guy that helps you on special teams here and there. Dominique Robinson has to show that he's not a college wide receiver, right? That he's an NFL pass rusher. And we haven't seen it since week one. And, and Bayless Jones has to show that, that he was worthy of a third round pick. And, you know, this is supposed to be when, when you're, you have 10 losses in December, it's supposed to be opportunity time. It's supposed to be a time for younger players to step through and, and make breakthroughs and, and emerge and show you that they are who the organization thought they were. And you got to start identifying more than just Jack Sanborn. Look, like you hope that Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker are back after the bye. And we just mentioned the, the high-powered offenses that they're going to play against. Let's continue to see those guys uh, make that climb, right? Because if they're not <laughs> the players that, that you thought they were when you prioritized defense and secondary uh, in your first draft, well, now, now you've got even bigger problems. So there's a lot. There's a lot here that still needs to be learned, a lot that still needs to be gained by this team to close the gap on where they are which is at the top of the draft board and where they want to be, which is at the top of the league. And, and you better not take any day for granted and think that it's just a, a write-off and you can just figure it out later. Dan, my favorite stat of the week is something you reported and talked about the other day. The Bears under Matt Nagy went 38 games, and you broke it down to 430 possessions, 2,464 offensive plays. 
without scoring a touchdown on any snap taken from their own territory. Meanwhile, comma, Justin Fields has done that three times in his last four games. That's remarkable in itself. And I wonder, as the Bears evolve and they use this bye week to kind of look ahead and plot and plan and strategize, is there really is, – is there a model – to to kind of tailor your offense around out there is it Baltimore is there's no other other comparable uh, quarterback that you can say has this kind of explosive maybe maybe Jalen Hurts um, is, are the Bears in the process of copying somebody else's offense again or creating their own version the unique original Justin Fields Midwest Coast offense. Well, I just want to correct you. It's been four times that Fields has had a touchdown of 50 yards or longer, three on the ground and one a pass to Cole Komet. So there's been even more than you thought that there was originally. And it's just that, that's evidence, David, of, of just how explosive this guy is as a, as a playmaker. And it's what you need to tap into. And it's what you need to figure out what you're doing with your offense. I thought that Sunday was a, a, a display. First of all, it's, it's probably Justin's most complete game, right? Because he gives you the, the long touchdown run, but he also stands in the pocket and shows you patience and presence and completes 20 and 25 and has his best passing yardage output of the season and really looked more comfortable uh, behind the, the offensive line than he has at any point this season, which is growth. And it's promising growth. And it's what we've asked him to do and make. We can talk all we want about the last two interceptions and what they meant to us and what they meant to about the Bears supporting cast, but you've got to continue to, to evolve as an offense. And this is where I think it gets tricky and it gets a little bit confusing because they cut way back on the designed runs on Sunday, right? Like there, there was two zone reads and a, a one yard quarterback sneak. Those were the three designed runs that they called for Justin on Sunday. And so now the question is one, was it because he was playing two weeks after separating his shoulder Two, was it because, you know, defenses are adjusting to the zone read and are, are challenging it differently with the mesh charge and other, other ways to challenge it? Or, or was it because they saw Justin getting beat up and getting tired legs and realizing that that brand of football wasn't something that they could do for 18 weeks of every season? And so now it's like, where do they do or where do they go and what do they do when they come back after this bye week to show us what their offense is going to be for the final four games? And that's worth keeping an eye on because if you take away – Justin as a designed runner on every series, well, then all of a sudden you see in the second half against the Packers, they scored three points. Their, their yardage output was up there, but they only had three points. And, and so, like, the idea that they were just going to score 30 a week till the end of time was a little bit of a myth, right? And now you've got to adjust as other teams adjust to you. This segment with Dan Wiederer is brought to you by Old National Bank, where relationships and results matter, get old, and, Dan, you know, I'm, I'm convinced, watching how uh, easily Justin Fields ran through that uh, Green Bay defense <laughs> to score a touchdown. I, listen, he makes it all look easy, I, I, but it's remarkable. Correct. They may have done that the whole game long had he not been injured. And I think a lot of people are like, well, why did they get conservative? Well, the guy's playing with a separated shoulder. I'm sure as the game went on, the meds wore off, and and he was aware he had a separated shoulder. And it made sense right. to me that he wasn't going to run the ball all game long. But, I, I mean, you left a lot of yards on the field just because he was not healthy because that defense was terrible. I don't think the Green Bay Packers are going anywhere, and I wonder what happened to them, frankly. Well, and Molly, one of the one of the one of the worst sequences was they had first and goal at the nine, and and, and the first play was a running play, and it got uh, a holding call against Tevin Jenkins, and they backed up, and then they were a little conservative there. But we had been seeing Justin as as that low red zone threat and that guy that you would just turn loose 
once you get inside there and said, okay, he's just going to run for a touchdown here. And they didn't do it. And so now the question is, okay, thankfully for us, we've got four more games to see, are they getting shy about that? Because, because of what happened with the separated shoulder, because of what the offense looked like with torn oblique Trevor Simeon trying to play in New York, you know, now they've got to, to play those games. And, and some of those are psychological games within themselves as a coaching staff to figure out how much risk they want to expose them to. So look, I think the next four games are going to be telling for, for how aggressive they stay with Justin as a runner and what they're, what they're able to do with them. Uh, to your latter point, I, I have never seen the Packers uh, offense with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback look that disjointed, that uncomfortable, and that unproductive, particularly against the Bears defense that obviously wasn't playing with its full complement of, uh, of standout starters. So, Dan, we talk about the Sanborn effect on defense, and the guy came out of nowhere, and now I think he's a piece you keep, and you can envision him being a starter on a Bears defense that returns in 2023. Offensively, it's much harder to find those pieces, not guys who maybe emerge, <laughs> but guys who you want to keep. Receiving core, Chase Claypool's got to stay. Mooney, we'll see how he recovers, but he's going to be back. Beyond that, I don't know if anybody's worth keeping. We have Komet uh, at tight end, certainly. You know Justin Fields is is there. Braxton Jones, sure. Cody Whitehair, maybe. Beyond that, Tevin Jenkins, is he a guy that they're going to invest in and bring back? How many guys, is there anybody on offense that has emerged as like, oh, yeah, got to keep him, and are any of those receivers coming back? Well, that's why I say, right, like you just can't give a free pass for, for everything they've done because they've brought in so many receivers, right? They, they, they completely overhauled this receiving core, and, and they've gotten nothing out of Byron Pringle. They've gotten little to negative out of Equinemius St. Brown in the passing game. They, they haven't been able to get Bayless Jones unlocked as an offensive weapon, which is one of the biggest reasons that you drafted him on day two of the draft. And, and now you're going into the offseason if nothing changes in these next four games with, with all this uncertainty and all this need to surround Justin Fields with the playmaking weaponry that he needs to go from being a, a really good playmaking starting quarterback into what people want him to be, which is a championship fueling star, right? Like these are the conversations we're having about this quarterback this season because of his emergence. And so now you've got to find him help. And you would have hoped that you would have found him some kind of help within the season. And to your point, I just, it just hasn't been there. There just hasn't been a guy that has taken advantage of opportunity. And, you know, so, so then it's like, who, who, who do you point the finger at? Is it the talent acquisition people and Ryan Poles' front office that are misidentifying guys? Is it the coaching staff that's not finding the right roles or not developing guys quickly enough? These are all questions that we need to continue to ask and keep our eyes on because the Bears, as, as you guys know, are so, so far away from being like a meaningful championship football team that eventually you've got to identify these guys and they just haven't identified them this year. Yeah, and, and you know, look, they it's all by design. You know, I, I think it was, we've talked about this, Matt Nagy said that uh, you, you can't blame anyone, it's everyone's fault when they lost five in a row <laughs> last year. Well, I, I mean, they've lost six in a row, and I think you know who to blame. It's the guy that put the talent on the field. They just did not come into the season with a competitive team, and, and when you are investing more uh, to, in payoff of, of salary cap issues than in actual defensive players, you're, you're going to run afoul of issues. And, you know, I, I thought it was very obvious watching that Green Bay game that they can't play complementary football anymore, that they can't, you know, you, you just don't have enough talent to stop anyone. And um, and it's really hard to try to play complementary football if if half your team is is just not up to snuff. 
Right. And so now it's like, you know, you're in this, this argument now where it's like, oh, as soon as they get Justin a, a sturdy offensive line and a, a full complement of pass catchers and a, and a top-tier defense and, uh, you know, coaching help and right. special teams help, they'll be, they'll be all right. And you say, okay, well, guys, look at that checklist. Look at that checklist that right. you just asked for and try to realize how long in the NFL that takes to, to yeah. go through that checklist and get all of those things. So now you're putting even more sort of demands on your young quarterback to, to step up and win these things. I know that Chicago hates this conversation about uh, trying to finish games late, right, and, and doesn't mean anything because you don't have guys that are going to be here next year. Well, you know, I don't know that you're, you're just around the corner of having, you know, six or seven difference-making guys on your offense that are going to lift you to those things. And so eventually a quarterback has to get over that hump himself. He has to be that guy that wills a team to victory no matter who is on the field with him. And so it's just a, a, it's a box that Justin has to check. Nobody is saying that because he's failed in these last four starts to, to lead the Bears to a game-winning drive late in the game that he's not eventually going to be capable of doing that. Of course he's got the, the potential to do that. But you'd rather him start that sooner rather than later because the first time you get one of those victories, it gives you belief for the second time you try to get one of those victories. And the second time you get it, it becomes belief for the third time you get it. And then you see a, a game like the other night where – the Buccaneers have a, an absolutely abysmal 54 minutes, and yeah. Tom Brady just says, hey, jump on my back. We're going to go win. And then they go win, right? And you say, wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Great point, Dan. Okay, away from the Bears, I want to ask you about something we talked about earlier in the show. We know that you have an opinion on uh, the rest of the league. You've covered the league for 12 years. So Baker Mayfield is on waivers. He's cut loose by the Carolina Panthers. We talked about the 49ers maybe looking at him as a possible alternative to Brock Purdy. The Rams jump in, of all people, and he may play tomorrow night because he That's got the playbook awesome. for his flight from Carolina to L.A. What did you think about that situation and how he might have fit with the 49ers, which is a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Well, I, I think I got the first word of this. It wasn't through uh, Adam Schefter or Twitter, but my son telling me, hey, Baker Mayfield may be playing for the Rams this week. And I was like, all right, you know, what what, what weird website are you on right now that, that's giving you this fake information? And the idea that, that he's in position to try to play this week joining a team, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it kind of makes your head spin, to be honest with you, not only because of, of the, the journey that Baker Mayfield's been on in 2022, but the one the Rams have been on. You know, I mean, they're just – hosting the Lombardi Trophy eight months ago, ten months ago, and now here they are just in complete disarray and trying to, to hit this reboot. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see where that whole thing goes. Um, with the 49ers, I, I don't think uh, there's any more intriguing storyline in the league right now because of how well they are built everywhere else, and they just need somebody to be a caretaker of that offense to, to potentially play into February, and now they've got to find those answers and figure them out really, really fast. Dan, we'll let you go. I, I am very curious, after seeing the Bears change uh, dramatically during their mini-bye week, if you believe there is anything that can change in the bye week. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's one thing to go into the kind of um, the, 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 uh, the, the experimental phase with different things, but I think I just am trying to figure out how they could get better in the fashion they did earlier in the year. What would that be? look like to you well it's molly i think it's just a matter of adjusting to how teams are adjusting to you right and, and you have to figure that out offensively 
look, they're going to go face two really, really good defenses when they come out of the bye week. And, and, and particularly that Buffalo defense is going to do things that are going to test what Justin Fields sees, how comfortable he feels, how he reacts when he's uncomfortable. These are two, I, I'm telling you, I'm really excited for these next two games because there's no expectation for the Bears to win them, but you just want to see how far away they really are. And look, like, again, back to my earlier point of everyone just kind of feeling like they were going to score 30 points a week till the end of time. Let's see. Let's see what it looks like down the stretch of these last four games. If all of a sudden you're averaging, you know, 22 and you go, oh, God, right? Like, it's not as explosive as we thought it was in November. And now what do we have to do to make sure that it gets back toward that level? We'll see where it goes. But that's, you know, look, at 3-10, and there's still a lot that can be learned from, from the final stretch of this season. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. All right, fellas, have a good week.